Good morning. Uh, today, today's Bible verse would be from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, that's found on page 1052. It's also on the screen behind me. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Again, this is 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from our God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Good morning. So good to look out and to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. It has been a greatly blessed week as we have had our, our vacation Bible school, and I'm thankful for that and thankful for the, the good that was done this week. Uh, we know that there are those who are hurting today. We, we ask that God will, will bless them, but we're also thankful you are here because the greatest thing we can do any day is to tell God how great He is and be reminded of Him. I'm thankful for those who are joining us today on the live stream. We pray that this will be a blessing for them. And if you will, let's go to God in prayer as we begin today. Our Heavenly Father, you are great and you are mighty and you are awesome. And today, we come before you thankful that you are our God. Thankful that we are your children. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us today and help us to look in your word and, and to see one of the greatest gifts you've given us as children. Lord, we pray that you will help us today to see the, the purpose of your message, that it will help us day by day to instill faith in the generation that follows us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we were going through and singing, it's interesting how people smile when they're singing our quote children's songs. It's also interesting how our singing picks up a little bit. Part of it is little ones that you don't know are paying attention and they will sing every single word. As they hear those words of songs that they are familiar with that they know. And we want to, to instill in them. Think about the songs. Jesus loves the little children. Let them know that he loves them. And, and Jesus loves me. I think one of the greatest lessons for all of us to learn. He's got the whole world in his hands. Teaching them what? Faith in a mighty God from the time that they can hear. I'm thankful for God's love for children. It's amazing to me that we live in a society, in a country where there are still hungry children. Most of the time we think, where? Somewhere else. That there are children who, who need food somewhere else and, and not close. I, I remember when, uh, I don't know if you remember the Sally Struthers commercials. We usually saw them when we were eating and watching TV. I don't know if y'all did the same thing. I grew up during a time of TV trays. Anybody here have TV trays? Because you don't want to sit across the table looking at somebody. You can have the TV on. You can go in there. And, and, and we would go in there and eat. And, and they would come on and talk about how these children were starving everywhere else, where, where your family used that as an opportunity to tell you to be appreciative and eat what you have. It's hard to imagine that there are children who are starving in our country. 
According to some world stats, it, it seems at least three and a half million children younger than five die from mal malnutrition every year. It, it's not that they just don't have food, they don't have the food they need to survive. 200 million children around the world suffer the, the effects of malnutrition, not having the food they need. And you're going, wow, it is 2019. How in the world are there still children that are hungry? It says the impact of malnutrition, malnutrition during a child's first thousand days, its first three years of their life, just about is irreversible. It says one out of six children, roughly 100 million in developing country, are underweight. And it's hard to imagine. We go, okay, we understand that's other places. But what here? In Wilson County, this talks about, um, there's a Feed America um, website you can go to. And it will break down county by county, no matter where you live in the United States, and talk about it. Well, the, the, the word that they use is a little bit different. It, it talks about the, that they don't, it's not necessarily that they don't have food, but they don't have nutrient-dense food. They may have food at, at their homes, but they do not have the food, the proteins, the, the good food that they need. And it says that 15% of the children in this county do not have the level of nutrition foods that they need. This was a, a big deal in Murray County. Their numbers are quite a bit larger than this. And there was a program, and they may do it through the schools here. There was a program through the schools there. They called the Jetpack Program. And there was a bag that, that, that you would fill up, and, and congregations, we would get food from, I think, Second Harvest. We would buy it through them. And you would go through, and you would stuff this bag every week and the bag would have enough food to make sure a child got the food they needed from Friday afternoon to Monday morning returning to school. And in our little Spring Hill Elementary School where that was next door to the Spring Hill Church of Christ, we, we would do anywhere from, from 60 to 90 of those bags per week. Why? To make sure that children had some food that was nutrient-rich, was something that could get them through to make sure they had food for them over the weekend. It is hard to believe that there are malnourished children in a world that has what we have. Let's stop there. Directions. I want us to look at one of the most interesting, to me it's a, it's a story in the Bible that is a very awkward story. It's a tough story. This story takes place in Genesis, and if you want to open your Bibles there, you can. And, and it involves Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Hagar, and Ishmael. We're going to be in, in Genesis chapter 21 just in a moment. We realize that, that God chose Abraham to be what? The, the father of nations. To be one whose de descendants would be more than the what? Stars in the sky. It just took God a while to answer this, this promise that he had given, and it was in God's time. He was not given a timeline. He was just told this was going to happen. And throughout the time they go, he and his wife Sarah is like, hey, what's God waiting on? You know, if we're going to have kids, we're, we're getting much older now. We need to be having kids. I'm not talking about 30 or 40 or 50. You're talking about 80, 70, 90, you know, you're much, much older to be having kids. 
And so what happens is, I, I, Sarah takes it into her own hands. She said, well, uh, Hagar is my, my servant. Why, why don't you use her as a surrogate and we can have your heir through her? And Abraham does. They name him Ishmael. But as God always does, later on God does what? Fulfills his promise and gives them the child that he has promised, Isaac, who will, will be the heir uh, of Abraham through which all the generations will be blessed. And, and that happens. Well, that causes problems. Let's begin reading in, in Genesis 21, uh, beginning verse 1. It said, Then the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord uh, did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at a time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son and was born to him, and Sarah bore him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son uh, uh, Isaac when he was eight days old, old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who will have said Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Notice she keeps saying in his old age. Sarah never says, I bore him a son in my old age. She keeps talking about his. I do find it somewhat funny, okay? It's what? He's a hundred with a newborn. And she is excited. They are excited that God has finally answered this promise and given them the child of promise that they have waited years and years for. It says when people hear this, they will be excited and know so they will laugh. And in one sense, that laugh is, is not laughing at them, it's laughing with them at the what? The miraculous nature of God and God answering His great promise. Verse 8 says, And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on the, on the account of his son. Wow, what a difficult verse. What I understand that this was something culturally that they celebrated when a child was weaned. Two years old, three years old. One of the reasons was, because that means the child made it through the most vulnerable time of their life and the more likely to, to live on. Got to realize how many children died during that time, how many women died during childbirth. Now that this child has is, is made it to the time of being weaned, it's more than likely that he will make it on to adulthood, and they are going to celebrate that moment. But as they go to celebrate it, it says, Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born Abraham, laughing. Now, he's going to be older. Some say that he was probably a, a, a young teenager. But laughing is probably not the best word here. Mocking is probably a better word. That this son of Abraham, Ishmael, is making fun of her son, the heir, is mocking him. And Sarah becomes very defensive, as moms do. You ever seen that? You ever been yelled at by a mom at a ball game? I've umpired ball games before, many. 
I've had dads say stuff about me, then it's very different when the mom starts in on you. They can get protective. I've seen moms try to go on the field to protect their kids. I'm like, he's 17, okay? He ought to be able to handle himself at this moment. Uh, you will hurt him if you go out there. Why? Because they will laugh and mock later. But she says, he's not going to be an heir with this child. This is the promised heir. Get rid of him. Abraham says he didn't want to hear this. Why? Because they are both his, his children. That is where he is. And this is Genesis 21, 14 through 20. Abraham did what? He went and he talked to God about this. And what God said is, listen to your wife and do as she says. Wow. So, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child. And he sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now listen, God promises Abraham he'll take care of them also. I will take care of him. I'll give him his own nation. I will take care of them. But he has to send his other son out into the wilderness. Can you imagine what that walk was like? Mama, why do we have to leave? What's going on here? I, I, I didn't mean to do, did I do something wrong? What, 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 what happened? Was it because I was, I was picking at my, my little brother? What, what was the deal? Can you imagine these questions as they go out into the wilderness? But things get very serious very fast. Verse 15 says, When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite of him a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And she sat opposite him, and she lifted up her voice and wept. What happened? This child, they were out of food, they were out of water, to the point the child was about to die. And she said, I just need to get far away enough that I can't see it happen. Wow, things got serious, didn't they? I, I, I just, I, I just want, she, she, but she lifted up her voice and, and she wept and, and love, love, verse 17. It says, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is up. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled it with a skin of water and gave it to the boy to drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. Isn't it amazing that God heard this child's cry? God heard him. I've heard him. I've heard him cry out. God said, I have heard. And what did God do? God provided. God heard a hungry and thirsty child cry. And God provided with a great promise. I believe we see that children are important to God. I, I don't know what it is about Hagar that, that God didn't say, hey, I've heard your Christ as I've heard your child's. I've heard this boy, and I, if you'll open your eyes, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to bless him, for I hear this. I, I see here, right here, that children have what? Great importance to God that he listens to them. We see this continue on in the, in the New Testament where, where, where Jesus says in Matthew 19 verse 14, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as what? As these. There is a theme throughout children of God's love 
and Jesus' love for them. To the point he says what? Pure and undefiled religion is, is taking care of what? Widows and orphans, taking care of children. It is something that God sees and hears and values. I would argue that the biggest problem in Wilson County and probably in the United States is not that children are physically hungry. I think there are some who are. Can I tell you, I believe that we have people who are starving for God. We have generations of children who are being raised up who have no idea who God is. They're not being taught about His love, about His mercy. They're not being taught that He has the whole world in His hands, that He loves the little children, that, that Jesus loves them. That They're not being taught that. And, and that puts a special, I think, responsibility on the church and how we function. When I think about our congregation, I think, what is it that children today need? Our children here and the children throughout this community and the children throughout the world they need Jesus. They need to know who He is. They need to know His love. And, and how do we as a congregation do something about it? When we think of starving children, we think of children who are starving spiritually, the first thing they need is to be taught about God. To be taught about God. It is not something that, that, that is... That, that they're just going to know. Now, can they look and see things that are great? Yes, and things that are awesome. But how many of you grew up with a parent that you may talk about how pretty a sunset is, and they talk about how God painted that. How God was involved in all these things. I was in Lourdes Hospital uh, in Paducah, Kentucky, visiting a family one time, and, and they had a, a, a wishing well in there. Uh, a little bit of a fountain that was going, and you see people come by and throw money in it. And there was a mom who had two little children with her. And of course, what do children want to do? Spend your money. Okay, that's what they want to do. And they see that, and they see the money in it, and said, Mom, give us some money so we can, can, can throw this in there. And the mom says, no, we're not going to do that. And the mom starts walking the child out. And I'm walking close enough that I'm glad she didn't call the cops, but I wanted to hear what she said. Because the boys are like, they're having, one is having a fit. I don't understand. I just wanted to throw that in. I want to have a wish. And she said, son, we don't need to make wishes when we can pray. What was that mama doing? Teaching her, her child and her children about God. And I actually thanked her. I, from the, I said, I heard you. Thank you for doing that. There's something about that. Because children need to know about God. We think of this verse when it comes to evangelism. We think about Romans 14, verses 14 and 15. It says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? We think about that when it comes to evangelizing other adults, and we should. We also need to think about this verse when it comes to our children. They have got to hear about God. From every age. Because children who do not know about God will grow up to be adults who do not know about God. It has to be something where someone has to decide, we are going to teach other people about God. And, and it's a big deal. They must be taught. We read this verse a couple of weeks ago on, on Father's Day in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk with them when you. We'll keep going. You shall teach them diligently. They have to know who God is and that He is what? He is God. He is one. Teach them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them, bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as, as frontless on your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What are you to do? Teach them. When we look at this, we know that this is a mama-daddy verse, that they are to teach this to their children. But we need more people to be teaching about God than just parents. Yes, we need our ch- parents to teach their children about God. But even in the Bible, read that Timothy's grandmother Lois in 2 Timothy 1.5 said she taught him the Scripture since he was a youth. Our church family, we're commanded in Titus 2 for the older people to teach the younger people, older men to teach younger men, and older women to teach younger women. It is something all Christians, and the Great Commission is given to every disciple to make disciples. Children need to be taught about God, and I'm thankful for this week. Yes, we had 550, 560 kids each day. Can I tell you, every one of them were taught about God. When we think about children who are starving, not only need to be taught about God, but they need adults who are authentic Christians. That means they're real. They need adults who, who are real Christians in their lives. And, and you this in, in First Peter, where, where Peter says in chapter 1, verse 14 to 16, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called is holy, you also are to be holy in your conduct, since it is written, you, are, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What's he saying? Since you are a Christian, don't live like you lived before. You are to live a, a different life and do what? You live that out in front of people. You don't live it so people can see. You live it and people will see. There's a difference there. You're not living to put on a show. You're living and because you are living a certain way, people are looking and people are watching it. And we see that. He goes on to say, For you have been what? Called. For Christ has suffered you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. We as God's people are to be living out that in front of everyone. I love this quote by William Bennett. He said, There's nothing more influential in a child's life than the moral power of a quiet example. For children take morality seriously, they must see adults who do what? Take morality seriously. I know that not everyone in this room will teach a Bible class, but can I tell you? Everybody in here is teaching something. And you want to teach people, teach our children how to follow God. We have those in here that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, all the way up, I would guess in their 90s. Everybody in here needs to know what it means to be a Christian at that age. And we can learn that from one another. I grew up in a, a small congregation. Uh, our Sunday goal was 55. 
I went to the, 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 the Central Church of Christ in Decaturville, Tennessee. My dad was a song leader there. We did not have elders. We had men's business meetings, and those were a lot of fun. But that's a different talk. We'll talk about those later. Um, but I remember being in the teenage class, and the guy who was teaching the teenage class was a guy who was married in his 20s and hadn't been a Christian long. But he was willing to do that. What did he do? We, we had a book we went through every week. He would get a book that, that would teach us, but he was willing to tell us what his life looked look, look like before Christ, and what it looked like after Christ. And I will tell you, it was a blessing to us because he hadn't been a Christian long enough to know that you cover some of that stuff up. He was honest. He was caring. He had some cautionary tales. He never bragged about what his life was before, but he said, this is where it was leading me. And this is where some of the places I ended up because of it. And I will say, even though just a few of us went through his classes because the congregation was small, everyone who did was blessed because they knew that this man loved them, loved God, and was being real with them. I love that in this congregation, that this front row from time to time, there's somebody who sits on this front row after a sermon and does what? Confesses? Ask for prayer? Ask for help? What is that? That's being real. And you don't think it matters to our children when they see our adults do that? It is a big deal. Because so many times we think about people who come to church or people who have it all together. They've got it all figured out. They, they come together and they just, they just show up as everybody who has all their lives perfectly together. We know that that's not the case. And when people will come up, is what happened last Sunday morning. When we had a family do what? Ask us to pray for their family. That's being real. That's helping our young people know what do we do when our life is struggling? What is it we do when we struggle with sin? What is it we do when things are in our family? What do we do? We take it to God. We take it to our church family and allow them to surround us and circle us and pray with us and pray for us. I love that. I know Philip works in the youth program and functions under this way, believing that every child, in order, order to be faithful, needs seven Christian adults in their life. That's why the cocoons are set up. All these different things to interact with different generations. Why? Because if you want your child to be, to be faithful, what, what you need is not just them to be connected to Christ but, and connected to you, but they need to see other adults and know other adults who are investing in them. When you think about children who are, who are starving spiritually, what do they need? They, they need a church that sees children as important. It's a big deal that they see children as important. We, we look here at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. It says, And they were bringing children that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant to them and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands on them. Jesus was what? 
holding babies. How awesome. Why? Because children had no status at that time in society. The world was rough on them. We realized that when, when we found out that Jesus was what? Jesus is coming into this world. What does Herod do? Well, let's kill all the, the boys aged two and under. Let's just sacrifice them. Children had no status, and that's why the, the disciples are like, hey, he doesn't have time for you. And, he's, and he says, whoa, don't, do not do that. Do not do that. Let them come to me. Do not hinder them from coming to me. Jesus made children important in his time, and the church should today also. Do you know at times in here we have crying babies? Sometimes it's mine. It, it is weird. Of, of all the voices, you know which one's yours. Okay? And I've been to places where they will stare a kid down as they're going out. You know what you call a church without crying babies? Dying. What do we want to do? We want to value. We want to, to do that. We, we sit there and I think about our ch church here and valuing children this week. They go in that nursery, and, and at times they were outnumbered. You know, if you got five kids and five adults, you can play man to man, okay, or, or woman to kid, however it worked out. Once you get more children than adults, you got to play zone, and it's hard to play zone on children. They had to play zone a couple of days, but those children are loved. If you walk through the halls this week, what would you see? Adults filling different roles, making sure that, that, that they were going to have snacks, making sure that they, they would have food while they were here, to look around and see the organization that was going on, to, to look in the classrooms, to, to go through and to see the crafts, to go through and see all these different things. What are we seeing? That children are important. When I think that of the over 600 who registered, that only 150... So those are members here at 109. Think about that just for a second. Let that set in for people in our community to know that children are important to this congregation. Why are they important to us? Because they're important to God. And, and to see that, to see that some get group attention, some get one-on-one -on -one attention. Why? Because they are important to God, I think about this congregation and different things that are done to make sure children know they're important. I think about the Bible classes. I know that there were children who were at VBS this week who are members here who may not be here the rest of the week. Can I tell you? Let's not do that. There's Bible classes the next hour. There's Bible classes on Wednesday night. Why? Because we want to teach your children about God. I think about pew packers just before services on. There's a, a, a Philip is up here and it's, if Blaine uh, be up here and they will be singing songs with your children, teaching them what about God. Why? Because they are important. We have vacation Bible school. Uh, there are retreats as the children get older. There's camp. There, there's a youth ministry. There's a children's ministry. There's young soldiers. There's young ladies serving Christ. Why? Because children are important to this congregation. Why? Because they are important to God. And, and children who are starving spiritually and, and need to know that, that there is a place who values them and wants to make sure they're fed with the bread of the Word of God so they may know that. And a place where they are prayed for. 
One of my favorite pictures of the week is this, to, to see this room can get a little crazy VBS week. But to look and to see their heads bowed in what? In prayer. Children also who are starving spiritually, and all children need what? A church that encourages children and their parents. Jesus was what? Somebody who encouraged them, and not only them, by taking the children in. Think about how encouraging it is for the parents for him to say, hey, let them bring them to me. I'm thankful that they cared enough about faith to bring their children to my presence. It's a big deal. How great was it to look around and to see four of our elders, James, uh, Miss Picture Day, but to see our, our, our three of our shepherds here doing what as lion leaders and here singing with our kids, taking around what? That is an encouragement to see that. To, to know that and to, to look and see the different adults who are investing in this week and, and to see, hey, we want to encourage you. We want to see this important. My favorite picture of the week. I wouldn't have it had she not sent it to me, okay? I didn't just steal this. What are we saying? You're important. We love God, and because we love God, we love you. Because God loves us, we want to love you. And we want to encourage you in your walk with God. We want to encourage you as, as you go through your life, and we want to encourage you to love God. That is for their families and their children, and to know that that is the case. Yes, we see that the, the verse is, is very much on dads. Fathers, Ephesians 6, 4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Yes, but you know what? Sometimes you need a church to remind fathers to do that. And not only that, feel ill-equipped. And the con congregation said, hey, let's do some classes on that. Let's teach also, let's look around at some of the older people who have done what? Raised faithful kids. Won't you take them out to eat? Hey, how did you do that? Can we, can, can we help you to be able to see that that's important? Because every child, every person that needs to realize that you are born in the image of God and you are made in the image of God and that you are precious, and that you are valuable, there's nothing that, that, that is more valuable in God's eyes than you. He paid the ultimate price for you. You are needed. He has chosen for people to be who changes the world through Him, and you are loved. And every child needs to hear that. Every parent needs to know that. And that needs to be taught and carried out. It's been said that childhood hunger is linked to developmental behavioral and academic problems. Can I tell you that spiritual hunger is linked to much worse? Spiritual malnutrition, say, is linked to much worse. Can I tell you, I, I believe children are hungry for God and they need to know God. And we want to be a congregation, I'm thankful for this congregation, who is always a congregation that teaches people about God. That teaches children about God. A, a, a congregation where, where people are authentic and, and are real and, and reach out. A congregation where, where we see children as important. And a congregation where we encourage them and their parents and we pray for them and their parents on a regular basis. I think that was done this week. I think that's something. But I think about this. I think of God hearing 
Ishmael crying out. I think it's important for the church to hear children crying out too. And to make sure that we want to be people who teach Jesus to every generation for them to know. Because it's all about Him. Everything's about Him. And, and what we want to do is have a place where He is lifted up and people can see Christ and see how beautiful and how loving He is so that they will do what? Come to Him and choose to be His. Today, do you want to be a child of God? I'd love for you to make that decision in faith to want to be baptized for remission of your sins. Today, will you do that? Or today, do you want us to pray with you and for you? We would love to do that too. If we could help you with these things, would you come now while we stand and while we sing?